What's going on, Valley Christian Church? Here, Poughkeepsie Online. Give God a big praise right now. That is who we're here for. That is why we are around today to celebrate the name of Jesus. Amen. It is so great to be here with you. My name is Stephen Francis, filling in for Dr. Greg as we kick off this series called Chasing Carrots, the Endless Pursuit of More. And I got to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm excited for this message, and if you've ever heard me speak before, you know I say that every single time. But I'm going to be honest with you about why I believe that this time is going to be so incredible. You know, there are times in your life, right, where, where God does something in your life, and he does it for you. There's things that he's working in you, and then eventually there's an opportunity where somebody needs that same thing. They need to hear the same words of encouragement or need the same advice that God gave you during that period, and that is what this message is for me. God has been working on my heart about this specific subject over the past year or so, so when I got the opportunity to speak on this, I was all about it. I was super excited about it. But before we get into the big content into today, I have a question that I want to ask you and all the people at Poughkeepsie. Hey, shout out to Poughkeepsie. Love you guys. You guys are incredible. And also shout out to all our online people that are watching right now. So grateful that you're with us. I want to ask all of you a question. And the question is this. Have you ever felt rich before? Now, I don't want to know if you actually are rich. That's none of my business. I just want to know here, Poughkeepsie Online, have you ever felt rich before? I know there's some people you're looking at me right now where it's kind of like, uh, I've never felt rich. But if you want to know where broke feels like, I can fill you in on that very well. And listen, I get you. I get you. Uh, I think all of us, many of us have had a moment, even when maybe we were young, where we might have felt rich. I actually have two moments in my life when I was younger where I felt rich. The first time was when I was going to the store with my mom and dad, and uh, my parents were a little bit ahead of me, but I was behind me, I think I was about five years old, and there was a man that just came out of the store that we were about to enter into, and as he was leaving the store, he went to put some stuff in his pocket, and when he put some stuff in his pocket, some money came out. So I, I saw the, the money fall, and I picked it up, and it was a dollar. And I walked up to the man, and I said, excuse me, sir, you dropped, you dropped your money. And he was like, oh, man, well, it's yours, kid. Have a great day. And listen, when you're an adult, a dollar is whatever. But when you are five years old and someone gives you a dollar, I felt like I had an inheritance for a me that would last for generations to come, like I thought I hit the jackpot. I kid you not. I realized how little a dollar was when I tried to go into the CVS that we were going into and I tried to buy all of the Skittles. And they said, sir, uh, young man, you can only get one of these with the help of your parents because you actually don't have the change needed for the taxes. So that was very short-lived. But the second time I've ever felt rich in my life was when I was 16 years old. Now, you may not know this, but I'm from New England area. And when I turned 16, I got a job at the Basketball Hall of Fame. Do we have any basketball people in the house? Anybody fans of basketball? Listen, it was so cool. I got to meet some great players and some great coaches while I was there. But I'll never forget the first check I ever got when I was working at the Basketball Hall of Fame. I don't even mind telling you, it was for $310. It was the first check I ever got. And that was like, uh, there, was, there was no 
car payment at the time. There was no student loans at the time. There was no cell phone bill at the time. This $310 was for me to do whatever I wanted. And church, again, I thought I was loaded. So I decided to use that $310 and ball out at Six Flags. I actually have a picture of me at the Six Flags trip. Here's a picture of me at Six Flags spending my first check from the Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, when I look at this picture, I realize I really should have invested that $310 in some better pants because I don't know what this is. They're, they're supposed to be shorts, but they're way too long to be shorts. But then at the same time, they're too short to be capris. All I know is whatever phase I was going through, I really should have invested in some better pant wear. All right. I'm just being honest. But nevertheless, maybe you felt that before where maybe it was your first check. Maybe it was money that you got from uh, 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 unexpected means, but nevertheless, you got something and it made you feel like, man, I can do anything. I can go anywhere with this amount of money. And you know what's funny? I have never felt that feeling again, but in so many ways I have chased after that feeling since then. And I wonder if that's your story. I wonder if you're one of those people where all the time you think about what you could do, what you would do if you just had the extra money you needed in order to make yourself uh, a very happy life. And I know there's a lot of people in here where you don't necessarily want to be rich. You don't need to be rich. But if you just had enough money to just get rid of that one bill or just to pay off that one thing, then you'd feel so much better. You feel like you were able to live your life. So, so oftentimes, that's what our life becomes. This constant pursuit of us trying to get enough in order that we might be able to take care of ourselves in a way that we would like. The thing about it, though, is that even though it is a valiant thing for us to be able to want to have enough money and to have enough stuff in order to take care of ourselves, our spouse, our kids, what have you, oftentimes... The line of enough keeps moving. I remember when I was making about $30,000 and I thought, you know what, if I made about $60,000, then I would be good. And then by God's grace, I was able to make about that much. And now it feels like uh, it would be super awesome if maybe I made almost $100,000. That's probably not happening. But there are some people in here where maybe you make that much. It's like, oh, listen, man, uh, I'm at that place and, uh, and it's not actually as much as you think. You got to pay for this stuff. If you want to, you know, put your kids in private school, all that stuff, that's that's, that's actually not as much as you think. In fact, there are people, uh, there was a recent article that interviewed several millionaires and they said, do you believe you have enough now that you are a millionaire? And they all said no. So the question was, what do you need in order to feel like you have enough, in order to feel like you are truly wealthy and you can live the rest of your days uh, in peace? And they said, if I had $5 million in assets, that was the general consensus that they made. If they had $5 million in assets, then they would be able to feel comfortable. And that blew my mind because what does the person with only $2 million in assets feel like? You know, like I, I, I couldn't believe that it was that much. But all in all, it tells us that the scale for enough is constantly moving. It's constantly uh, a, a moving target that we struggle to to really fulfill. And I believe 
that oftentimes, if we're not careful, that can become what all of our lives are about. And you know that's something that Jesus actually warns us about. Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus is speaking to uh, the disciples and he says to them, he says to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, I need to point this out. Anytime Jesus, like, doubles up on something, that means he, reals, he means it. It means he's saying, listen, real talk. Listen to me carefully. Look at me when I tell this to you. He says twice, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, this is a big deal because many of us already know that life isn't about possessions and life isn't about money. And the thing that makes me laugh a little bit, uh, this isn't even in my notes, but I'm going to just share it. You know, I've always heard people say, you know, love can't, uh, excuse me, money can't buy you happiness. But I think that's funny because money can buy you a lot of things that do make you happy. There's some, I've heard people say, you know, more money, more problems. And I was like, I'd have a lot of problems that would fix themselves if I had more money. But whatever the case may be, Jesus is saying, don't let your life be about that. Life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. And I believe that that's extremely difficult for us to remember and recognize because in the culture that we live in today, everything around us is screaming that we're lacking and we need to buy something else. We need to gain something more. There are companies that pay people millions of dollars to figure out how to have the best slogan, how to have the best advertising, the coolest commercials, in order for us to say to ourselves, huh, I think I do need that. I think I actually should buy that. Uh, my life was actually completely fine before, but now after watching this commercial, now I see that my life will be nothing until I get this. Uh, I, I think it's also very difficult now because not only is it just on television and or on a billboard, but it's, it's, it's on our phones. It tripped me out the other day. Literally the other day, I was at the mall and I, I walked past Old Navy and I just happened to see a sweater that I was like, oh, that's a nice sweater. All right, cool. And I moved on. I didn't buy the sweater. The second I opened up my Facebook app, it was an Old Navy ad with that sweater. I don't know how they do this, if it's the Illuminati, Big Brother, whoever you want to blame, but it tripped me out that literally when I thought, oh, that's nice, but I don't need it today, Old Navy found a way to ask, are you sure you don't want this sweater? Nevertheless, it is something that we constantly are bombarded with, and it gives us the idea that we're lacking something. In social media, we don't do ourselves any favors either when it comes to that. Because so oftentimes we cater our, our social media, we cater our pictures and, and things of that nature to say, look at what we're doing. Look at what we have that can oftentimes actually create greed in other people's hearts. Not to say that we intend for that, but oftentimes if we're not careful, if we're not being on guard or watching out, we can start to play into that mindset and start following along with that. But here's the thing about it. If I could describe what many of us feel like, I think a lot of us maybe feel good. Maybe there's some people that don't feel great about where they are financially. You know you have some struggles and everything. But if I were to be honest with you, I believe every person under the sound of my voice, especially if you live in the United States of America, is rich. In fact, that's a part of your notes today. You 
are rich. I didn't realize how rich I was till I went on this website called globalrichlist.com. You can go on it after the sermon, globalrichlist.com. And all you have to do is just type in your annual income. And if you make anywhere from $30,000 or more, you are immediately in the 1% of the richest people in the world. If, all, if you have your own car, if you drove your car to the service today, you are in the top 15% richest people in the world just because you have that. And I want to be clear about this, too. I know there's a lot of people that are in some really difficult financial situations and you have bills and, and you're not sure how you're going to be able to pay them and I also want to be clear that, you know, I've been praying for you guys ever since I was uh, uh, given this message to preach on. And, and we are believing for God to do a miracle for you. And I don't want to trivialize what you're going through. But I do want to be clear that even though we're not as wealthy as we wish we could be, we are still extremely wealthy compared to how the rest of the world lives. Another way that I saw this recently, well, actually a couple years ago, was in Guatemala. Now, uh, a couple years ago, Valley Christian Church, our 20-somethings ministry, went on a missions trip to Guatemala. It was an incredible time, and we're excited that we were going to be going back in 2020, but this time it's church-wide. So it's families, it's young and old, whoever, whosoever will, you can come with us to Guatemala October 2020. But... Uh, when we announced to the church that we were going to be going on this trip, uh, one of the members of the church, a good friend of mine, Melvin, he came to me and he said, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but I'm from Guatemala. And I was like, oh, man, that's so cool. What should we expect there? What things should we be looking for? And he was telling me a little bit. And then he said, you know, what would really help you understand the condition of a lot of people in Guatemala is if you watch this documentary called Living on a Dollar. And this documentary called Living on the Dollar was about four young men uh, from California that decided to go to Guatemala and for two months live on a dollar a day because that's what many people in Guatemala live by, just one dollar a day. To be clear, you can't get a good cup of coffee at Dunkin' or Starbucks for a dollar. Nevertheless, they went there and for two months, they lived off a dollar a day. And it was tragic to see just the condition of these individuals towards the end of it. They ended up uh, having extreme weight loss, parasites. One person got so sick that the medical crew had to intervene on the documentary to be sure he didn't die for the two months that they were there. Yet at the same time, the thing that was hell for them is home for so many of those other people. So we are so blessed in this country. And it should be a blessing to be considered somebody of wealth, even though you may not be as rich as you want to be. But there's also some difficulty that comes with that. That's something that scripture is very clear on. And for the rest of our time together, I want to talk about two different individuals that approached Jesus, that had encounters with Jesus, that were extremely wealthy, and how their wealth affected that relationship with God. The first one comes from Luke 18. Luke 18 tells the story of a certain ruler, and I'm going to go ahead and start. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal 
life. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, real quick, the reason why Jesus said that was he was trying to check him. He was trying to say, hey, listen, if God is the only good one and you saying I'm a good teacher, do you believe I'm God or not? But anyway, that's why Jesus had that response for anyone that was asking. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. These five things that Jesus just mentioned, these commandments that he mentioned, were the later five things mentioned in the Ten Commandments. All of those things involving how we are to have relationships with one another. So Jesus, in a sense, and I don't want to trivialize it, but in, in a way, Jesus was basically saying, if you want to get to heaven, then you need to be a nice person. You need to be nice to people. Again, that's a, that's a big leap, but boiled down, that's essentially what Jesus was saying. But the passage goes on. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. So everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, the rich man, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And scripture says that after that he left. Let me be clear about what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not against wealth. In fact, there are so many passages of scripture on how wealth can be considered truly a blessing from God. Not to say you're more blessed than the other because of wealth, but it is considered a blessing. So Jesus isn't trying to say that in order to follow him, you must become poor. What Jesus is trying to say in this moment is that, listen, yes, you can do all these nice things for other people. You can be an upstanding citizen, but in order to really follow me, I need to know where your heart is. Because if you really want to follow me, then you'll go again. You'll go against what you want to sell, what you want to keep for yourself and give it to the poor. He was trying to come at his heart to see if he really did love God the way that he wanted to portray himself to be. And that was not the case. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You're rich in comparison with the rest of the world. And Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this sounds so ridiculous that there are theologians that actually said, of course, Jesus did not mean that an actual camel go through the eye of a little needle. In fact, some theologians like to believe that there was this gate in Israel that if a camel wanted to go through it, it would have to get on its knees and figure out a way to crawl. But the original language of what Jesus says is very clear. He's talking about an actual camel and an actual needle. To give you context, just to set it a little bit more clear in your mind, here is a picture of a camel here. And I am holding a needle. This needle is so small, for all of you watching online and in Poughkeepsie, this just looks like I put 
two fingers together. That's it. P.S., if you're wondering, yes, that is the camel from the Geico commercials, the hump day commercials. I think those things are hilarious. I can't get a picture of this camel through the eye of this needle. It's not going to happen, let alone a creature that's up to six feet tall and can be up to 1,300 pounds. It's impossible. And if that is that impossible, then we have no shot at getting it to heaven. We have no way of ever seeing God on our own merits. It can't be done. And often I wonder this. Is that are we like the rich young ruler in our own lives? Have we said to ourselves that as long as I'm a nice person, that as long as I am following the rules of the law or following the commandments, then I'm good. Because if that's the case, that is not how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is not how you enter into a close relationship with Jesus. And I don't want to step on your toes here, but I'm going to get in your kitchen a little bit. It's very easy to tell how many Christians live very comfortable lives for themselves and not for Christ. Because the way they praise God, the way they interact with one another, it lacks all inspiration. And I feel the world would be a much different place if we didn't just have nice Christians, but we had Christians ready to make an impact. We had Christians that were ready to do what it took in order for other people to see the goodness of God in and through their lives. But often I think, yes, we believe in Jesus. I think our salvation is secure if you've claimed Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But your life is lacking the impact and the power that Jesus wants to offer. Luke 16, 13 says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, the words of Jesus. And the reason why I believe that this is so true is because why do you need to have strong faith when you got good finances? Honestly, a lot of you in here watching in Poughkeepsie online, you would pray a lot more if you had a lot less. You would seek God deeper if your pockets weren't so full. And again, I'm not coming at your wealth. If God has blessed you, that's incredible. But what I am saying is what do you chase after? What do you live your life according to? You know, something that rocked my world, that gave me proper perspective about this, was uh, actually uh, a couple years ago, I went on another mission trip, but this time to Haiti. What made this mission trip kind of funny, though, was that I was the only adult leader that was black, and all of the, uh, it was a high school mission trip, and all of the students were not black. So every time we went somewhere, I would come out the car with all of the students that weren't black, and all of the Haitian people would see me, and they'd be like, ça passe, katou ou sorti? And I'm like, Are you talking to me? I, I, don't, I don't know what you just said. I, I, I have no idea what's happening right now. And the reason why I tell you that is because there was one part of the trip where the, where the students were able to sit down with several farmers in this part of Haiti 
And if you didn't know, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Very beautiful people, very beautiful land, but they don't have the economy. In fact, uh, in 2010, uh, there was the... Um, uh, the earthquake that affected uh, Port-au-Prince, there are still people living, living in refuge tents from that incident in 2010 because there's just no economy for them to build uh, and to better themselves, unfortunately. So we were there and we were talking to these farmers and they were talking about the, the effects of the earthquake on them and how they've been trying to make some changes, but they've been dealing with some health issues and they've been dealing uh, with some issues with the crops because of uh, several things. And one of the students asked the farmers this question. They said, how do you still believe in God when he hasn't provided for you the things that you need and want? And they could speak a little bit of English, but they still needed uh, help with the translator and they started looking at me because they just didn't understand the question that the student had. And I'm looking at them like, I, I, I don't know what to, like, I can say it slower, but I don't know Creole. I, I don't know what else to say. Eventually, one of the farmers, he says, if I'm, if I'm hearing your question correctly, your question is, how do I believe in God that doesn't give me what I want? We do believe that by faith, God will give us the things that we want. But we also believe by faith that God is already everything we need. And when he said that, I had a Pentecostal fallout after he said that, because that's the way I want to live my life. That's the way I want people to see me. I, of course, want things for my family. I want to have the best life I can on this earth. And I don't think there's anything sinful about that. I don't think there's anything wrong about that. But one thing that is clear, I don't want my life to be seen as someone that just built his own kingdom. I want to be seen as an uh, as a ambassador, as a representative of the kingdom of God, and my life be represented in how I loved other people and how I reflected the grace of Jesus. That's how I want my life to be. And in case you did not know already, church, you can have all the money in the world and you can buy whatever you want. You can have the nicest cars, what have you. But I have never bought something that has restored my soul. I have never bought something that has fixed my marriage. I have never bought something that has ever brought healing and forgiveness from things that have happened in my past. There's only one person that has ever done that. There's only one name given unto man, which by we can be saved, and that name is Jesus. And when we couldn't afford to get salvation by our own means, Jesus was the one that was willing to cover that debt. And that is why we serve him. That is why we live for him. And this is something that we encounter in the next part of our story here. Luke 19, starting at verse 1. Right after, shortly after the story with the rich young man, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, uh, a lot of theologians believe that this person might have uh, dealt with dwarfism. Um, but either way, because he was short, 
he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Now, if you didn't know, tax collectors were not good people. They robbed the people of Israel in order to create wealth for themselves. And Zacchaeus did this so often that he was the chief tax collector and he was known for how wealthy of a person he was. So it is shocking that people like Jesus, who was known for being such a good person, and if you were a real follower of Jesus, uh, the Son of God, who was God himself, part of the Trinity, it was shocking for people to see that Jesus would ever interact with a man so sinful, with a man that has gained his riches from such terrible means by robbing the people of Israel. But after Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus, he says this in verse 8, he stood up and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Don't miss what's happening here. One man that was known for being a good person and was wealthy came to Jesus and left Jesus disappointed. And Jesus says it is impossible for a man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Another man has an encounter with Jesus and Jesus says salvation has come to him. The difference is that one person encountered Jesus and he decided that his life was going to change dramatically. The other person encountered Jesus and realized that the cost was just too high. Which one are you today? Have you encountered Jesus in a way that changes the way you see yourself and the way that you handle everything else in your world? Because like I mentioned before, if you want to have God be a part of your life, he cannot be a master of your life. You know, there's a popular uh, music artist uh, that has been in the news all week because uh, he declare that he is now a Christian. And uh, if you don't know who I'm talking about, his last name is the opposite of East, if you need a clue. And this person came out with an album called Jesus is King. And you can believe whatever you want about him or the legitimacy of, of, of this conversion or the, the quality of the music. That's your opinion. That's not what we're here about. But when I heard that record and I heard the first song that says every hour, Every minute, every second, every millisecond, I need you, God. I need you, Jesus. I said to myself, that is so nice to hear. That is so nice to sing. But is that the actual attitude of my heart? Do I need Jesus in my life? Or is Jesus just kind of part of my eternal salvation insurance. Because when you encounter Jesus, I believe you cannot stay the same. You have a Zacchaeus moment in your life. 
So let me be clear about this in our remaining time together. Your handling of wealth indicates what you worship. And let me be clear as well, this is bigger than money. I know some of you right now, it's like, oh my gosh, you talk my ear off about money. Is this a tithing message? This is not a tithing message. You can have what you want. If you earned it, that's yours. Do what you want with it. But I am asking, what are you investing in? Because what you are investing in shows what your values and priorities are. If my wife and my son showed up to church every Sunday looking mad, raggedy, and crusty, but I got the nicest sneakers on, that shows where my values are. The same way it does with you. And again, this isn't just about money. How do you spend your time? Who do you spend your time with? Are you living a life that is indicating that there is a God who has a son named Jesus that has changed your life forever? Or have you gone through all of the means to be sure that your life is as comfortable as possible in Jesus' name? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. And the second thing we need to be sure of is that we don't confuse your source with your resource. See, a resource is money or materials. It's something that helps you to perform some function. And we all need resources. But the source is the place from which you can obtain something useful or valuable. That's what those men in Haiti understood. We don't put our trust in a job. We don't put our trust in an income. We don't put our trust in the latest iPhone. We don't put our trust in whatever security or means that we can gather for ourselves. Those things are nice. Many of it is necessary in order for us to live good lives. But we go to Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We depend on Jesus to be the source of everything else that we need. It's him that we trust. It's him that we depend on. Is that your life story today? When we see your life, is that what is being communicated today? Maybe it once was, but it's not anymore. Maybe it never was. But I want to encourage you today that if that is the position of your heart, if it was the position of your heart, that there is something that you can pray for each and every day that can help you in regards to being sure your life is radical and generosity. Ask God, who can I bless today? That is such a simple question. That is such an easy prayer. God, who can I bless today? 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. They will lay up treasures for themselves so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You know, there are people around you that need help. There are people around you that are suffering, that are dealing with difficulty. And again, I'm not telling you to empty out your pockets and to give all your money away. I'm not telling you to stop going on vacations or to quit that building project on your house. 
What you do with your money is your business. What you do with your time is completely up to you. This message is not to guilt any person in here to do something nice. Because that's not what gets you into heaven. I want to challenge you to live your life today that is in pursuit of God. And in that pursuit of God over all things, you say to yourself, God, as I pursue you, who can I encourage around me to do the same? How can I represent you in a way that causes for even the person furthest from you to say to themselves, you know what, I need Jesus in my life too. Often it is generosity in our resources that make that happen. So with our time, I'd love to pray with you right now. Would you pray with me? And again, I just want to be clear about this. If you leave today thinking, okay, I just need to give more. I just need to be nicer. That's, that's missing the point. The point that I want to make clear is that have you had an encounter with Jesus that changes the pursuits of your life, that changes your values, your priorities, the way that you treat both the friend and the stranger? Because if you do, you will see a change in your life. So I want to pray that for all of you today. God, thank you so much for your love, for your generosity. Lord, you gave us all of you, and we deserved none of it. I pray, Lord, that you put a fire in us again, that you reveal yourself to us one more time that causes for us to see that you are a God that loves and that when we encounter that love, it inspires us to love others. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. We believe this in your name. And if you're someone in here where you've never prayed, you've never had an encounter with Jesus, but you want to have that encounter with Jesus today, today's the day you want to do it. I just want you to repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, please come into my life. I want to encounter you and live for you. I believe that you are Lord and you died on the cross for my sins. Thank you for this gift. I am now rich in you. In Jesus' name, amen.